Okay, we welcome each and every one out, and uh, happy to be here, and always a pleasure to assemble with people that are interested in serving God, and to do that which is right, and to worship, and to magnify Him. And we hope and trust that you'll follow along and open your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we'll begin there tonight, and kind of uh, be the springboard for our lesson here this evening. And if you have questions, feel free to call them to our attention, and we'll be Happy to open our Bibles and study with you. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in these first four verses, Paul, he just sort of talks about, well, there was a problem in the thinking of some of the uh, Corinthian brethren, and it appeared they were thinking, well, if, if, you, if you're baptized and you eat the Lord's Supper every, every first day of the week, I mean, it's like I mean, your ticket's punched, and that's really all you need to do. Paul points out, when you look at the Old Testament people of God, they were all baptized under Moses, verses 1 and 2. And verses 3 and 4, they had their spiritual Lord's Supper, as it were. And then Paul goes on to say, then in verse 5, but in contrast, I mean, they, they, they were baptized and they ate the Lord's Supper every week. But with many of them, actually the majority of them, with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. See, it's not enough if you, if you think, well, if, you get, if, you, if you're baptized and you eat the Lord's Supper every first day of the week, I mean, that's it. Is baptism important, essential? Yes. And is eating the Lord's Supper every first day of the week important? Yes. But if that's all we think that Christianity is, well, we, we've missed it. Because here the people of God, they, they had their baptism and they had their Lord's Supper, but the majority of them were destroyed as uh, Paul is going to talk about here in these next few verses. And so he continues on there in verse 6. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. That is, you just can't live like the devil and do as you please, even though, well, yeah, I was baptized, and yeah, I ate the Lord's Supper every first of the week. That doesn't work. And uh, that's what he shows about the Old Testament people of God. Verse 7, neither be, you, neither be you idolaters as some of them, uh, as, uh, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And that is, refers to Exodus chapter 32. And Moses up at the, you know, went up into Mount Sinai receiving the law. And they, they got involved in casting the calf. And next thing you know, they're doing all this uh, hanky-panky uh, wickedness. In verse 8, he says, neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed. And fell in one day, three and 20,000. That had to do with the story of Balaam and listening to the advice of committing fornication. 23,000 people died. Verse 9, neither let us test Christ as some of them also tested him and were destroyed by the serpents. Verse 10, neither murmur you as some of them also murmured and were destroyed by the destroyer. Probably referring to the, uh, the, uh, what happened with Dathan and Kor and Byram and the rebellion and how it led them in the, in the wrong path. Now all these things happen unto them for examples and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages are to come. And so Paul says all these examples uh, show us that yeah, you can fall away. And then particularly that verse 9 where it says, Neither let us test Christ or try Christ, depending what version you have, as some of them also test him, and were destroyed by the serpents. That's the title of our lesson, Destroyed by Serpents. And that goes back to Numbers chapter 21. And we're going to go back and look at that text in Numbers chapter 21. 
And notice what is involved here of those that were destroyed by the serpents and what came and what came to pass. And interesting, there, there really is some really good lessons there for us to consider as we go back to that Old Testament example there in Numbers chapter 21 where they were destroyed by the serpents. And we'll begin by noticing there in Numbers chapter 21 in Numbers chapter 21, notice there in verse 4. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way uh, to the Sea of Reeds to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was greatly discouraged because of the way. So we've got a map up here and uh, the little red dot is presumably some, sometimes you have Mount Hor or Mount Sinai and there's kind of a big question mark exactly where it's at, but it's suggested it's kind of up here. And, of course, they crossed out of Egypt, and, and Mount Sinai is more south here, and they wander around in the wilderness. And the reason why, because they didn't believe what God said in Numbers chapter 13 of the two spies that said, yeah, we can, we can take the land, and they believed the, uh, the report of the ten spies, oh, there's giants in the land, we can't take it. And so they just wandered around and wandering around, and so they were discouraged as they wandered around there in the wilderness. And so we continue on and notice what it says there in verse 5. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Well, they wondered for a long time. And then they speak against God. And as we saw the language of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, they tested God. They tested Christ. That is, they were testing his patience. I mean, God was with these people. He was leading these people. He bent over back to backwards, doing all kinds of good things for them. And what do they do? Well, they speak against God and against Moses. Moses was the appointed leader. I mean, during the story of the ten spies, they were about ready to kill Moses and get him a new leader. And we'll all go back down to Egypt. And it's crazy how, how people would speak against God. And they, they clamored for God to save them. God rescued them out of Egypt. And because of their unbelief, they're being punished by the wandering. And that was all self-inflicted. They, they just sort of brought that upon themselves. And here they are, once again, speaking. They're discouraged. They're, they're out here wandering and carrying on in the wilderness and not allowed to go into the land of Canaan. And so they're speaking against God and Moses. And then notice it, it says there in verse 5, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Well, now that's kind of interesting how people soon forget. What, what, why did God bring us out here? I mean, have they so soon forgotten what happened? Go, to us back, there, go back there in Exodus chapter 1. In Exodus chapter 1, in Exodus chapter 1, in verse 11, it says, Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, uh, Pithom and Rams, uh, Ramses. Uh, verse 12, And the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve to, to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick and in all manner of service in the field. And all the service in which they made, uh, made them serve with rigor. That's interesting, this word rigor, when you look it up in the Bible dictionary. It is defined as harshness. They were kind of in servitude or in slavery. And they served with rigor. That is, with cruelty, with harshness, with severity in the servitude that they were in. 
And it was tough. It was a tough time for the people there. Notice on into Exodus chapter 2. In Exodus chapter 2, <clears throat> notice there in verse 23. In Exodus chapter 2, notice there in verse 23. It says, And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel groaned by reason of the bondage. And they cried, and their cry came unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groanings, and God remembered his covenant with Isaac and with Isaac, uh, with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Verse 25. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had concern for them. So here they are, Numbers chapter 25, saying, well, why? Why have, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Well, did you forget about all this harsh bondage that you were in? And the extreme servitude that you were in? How soon people forget. And so it was with these folks. They soon forgot. And then notice what it goes on to say in verse 5. For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Or one translation says this light bread. That is the gathering of the manna. Here they are out in the wilderness, out in kind of de desert and where you get very little rain and etc. And here they are vilifying the kindness of God. They didn't have to plant anything to get this manna. They didn't have to go out and chop the weeds out day after day. They didn't have to wait for a period of three months to gather manna. It was there in the morning. In the morning, it just sort of kind of settled like the dew as it were, and they just gather it up, and they would have sufficient bread and nourishment for their bodies. God was providing this manna for them day after day after day. On the, on the sixth day before the Sabbath day, uh, they would gather up twice as much, and God provided them day after day, week after week after week. And what do they do? They sat and complained about that. And our soul loathes this worthless bread. It sustained their life. It was pretty easy to gather. It's not like that there, it's not like we're, they're out there toiling in, in the garden in the fields every day, waiting for the harvest for several months. Every day they could gather this. And so here they are vilifying the kindness of God, testing his patience, trying the patience of God, God uh, forbearing with them. Well, because of their complaining, because of them tempting Christ. Notice what it says then in verse 6. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many people of Israel died. Now, here are these serpents. It says they're fiery serpents. The point is, the idea of fiery, if you look that up in the dictionary, it just says the, the idea of something that burns. When they would be snake bitten, it would burn like fire. And, uh, well, for those outside, you won't see it, but a picture where somebody was bitten by a snake, and here this foot swells, and then uh, you see tissue begins to die because it's, this poison just kills tissue, and it hurts, and it's painful. And uh, I've watched videos of people that have been bitten by snakes, and you can just see that it, it hurts, and it hurts like fire. I mean, it hurts like the dickens, and, and they're just writhing, writhing in pain. Uh, there was one fella, uh, he, he was like in the passenger seat, and they're trying to get to the hospital, and his arm is just, it's getting worse by the moment. It's getting worse and worse and worse. And sometimes people are snake-bitten, and they suffer, and, well, they, they, they survive. 
But here was a case where they were bitten by these fiery serpents and they died. And lots of times that's the case with some of the serpents. Some serpents, some snakes, poisonous snakes, some venom is, well, some of it's more poisonous and more deadly than others. But in this case, it was deadly. People were dying after being bitten by the snakes. And it was there to punish the people. And it's like they brought it up on their own heads. I mean, you can't blame God. God is, of course, getting their attention. It's like a child that's misbehaving, and they're threatened, and they're warned, and they keep misbehaving, and then they're punished. It's like, well, they brought that up on themselves. So God sends these serpents and punishes the people. And then notice on there, as we continue on in the storyline here, look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Okay, there you have people came to their senses. That was the goal of punishment, was to get their attention. I mean, that's when you're punishing a child, is to get their attention, to get the message in their mind, to get them to realize the, the changes they need to make in their lives. That's why children are punished and receive punishment, is to enforce what they're not listening with their ears, to get it into their, into their hearts and minds. Well, the punishment was effective. And the people recognize that we, we've done wrong. We've sinned. That's why all this was coming upon us. And so they're crying out to Moses and to the Lord and acknowledging that. And uh, that, that's a good thing when people come to their senses spiritually. But then notice on. It says there in verse 7, uh, after confessing their wrongdoing, that we have sinned against the Lord and against you, pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And so here we have Moses intercedes, for it says Moses prayed for the people. Well, they came to the right place. You need to come to God. When our life's a mess and things are not going well, and we've done some pretty dumb things, and our life is just like, well, it's like in pieces. Well, went to the right place. Problem is, sometimes people, their life's a mess, and then they go all, they're all, all the wrong places to seek answers. Fortunately, they came to the right place. And so Moses intercedes for them, prays for the people, it says there in verse 7. And then notice there in verse 8, we have a solution. God grants a solution for them. Notice there in verse 8, And the Lord said unto Moses, Make you a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten when he looks upon it shall live. So Moses was to take some brass, and he was to forge the brass to shape it like a, like a fiery serpent, like a snake. And then put it up on a pole and lift it up and set it out there. And if somebody was bitten by the snake, they were to look upon this pole and they would survive the snake bite. Now today, we don't do that. If you're bitten by a snake, you go to the hospital. And through the process of understand right it's like with horses they use uh, snake venom on horses and they produce antibodies and, and anti-venom in, in their system and they collect that and then they inject it into a human that is bitten by a snake and the anti-venom then counteracts the venom that's working doesn't take away all the pain but it keeps you from dying and finally it then of course uh, you finally heal over a period of time 
Now that would make sense that, hey, we're going to build a hospital. I'm going to supply you with a bunch of antivenom. And if you're bitten, you just go to this location. You start receiving these, this antivenom. And uh, that's, that's the way the, it's going to be solved. That's not what God said. What God said is, Moses, you make this brass serpent. And you put it up on a pole there. And when people are bitten, you look upon the snake. And we're going to see in verse 9, that's exactly what happens. And Moses made a, brass, a serpent of bronze and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if any serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of bronze, he lived. So here was God's solution in number 8, verse 8. Was this, a, was this like snake faith that these people had? I don't think so. They had faith in God. Because God is the one that told them to look upon the brass serpent. The brazen serpent. The brass serpent. That's what God said for them to do. I mean, could they have said? Oh, well, you know, the power the power is in God, not in brass. They could have said that. And that would be true. One time I was speaking at a funeral. And kind of at the end, after making comments and Various exhortations, I talked about the plan of salvation, how we're to believe, and how we're to confess our faith, we're to repent, and we're to uh, be baptized into Jesus Christ. And anyway, and the exhortation that, you know, if you haven't obeyed the gospel, you need to do that and turn to the Lord. And as customary, you know, you, wherever the stand is, you go down and stand by the casket, and, and the people follow around. And anyway... The folks were following around, and it was actually this, uh, this sister's, uh, she was a member of the church, it was actually a nephew. He come by, and he said, the power's in God. The power's in the blood, not in water. I'm trying to say that baptism really doesn't have anything to do with salvation. Well, that wasn't the place to talk, because uh, people were still filing out, and there we are at the end of the funeral. So, we went to the graveside. And after the graveside... Uh, service, uh, the fellow, I called him off to the side, and I said, you remember the comments you made down at the funeral home when you said that the power's in the blood, not in water? I said, I'll say amen to that if you'll say the power's in the blood and not in faith. You would say amen. I said, if you'll say that the power's in the blood and not in repentance. Can you say amen to that? No, you wouldn't say amen to that either. Intrinsically, the power is within God, but we have to have faith and we have to have repentance and we have to have confession, we have to have baptism because those are conditions that God set down in order to receive forgiveness. I mean, the Lord's the one to put the condition down. I mean, they could have scoffed at God's, God's uh, uh, suggestion here, God's teaching here. Ah, well, I believe in the power of God. I'm not going to believe in this brass stuff. Look up on that brass snake. Okay, they, they could have thought that, and when they were bitten by snakes, they would die. You see, that's, that's when people fall down to human reasoning, that's the way things happen, when people fall down in following uh, the, 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 the reasons of men. No, God said you've got to look upon the brass serpent. It was a condition. Just like Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. We have to believe and we have to be baptized. And, of course, we have to repent and confess. So you look at other verses. Because these are conditions of God. We have to have our working faith in God. I mean, you can look at another example of where God offers his blessings conditionally. You have the story of 2 
Second uh, Kings chapter 5, when Naaman the leper, he hears about there's a prophet in Israel, and uh, he decides to go down there. And Elijah the prophet uh, sends out a messenger when he comes to the house of Elijah. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall come again, and you shall be clean. So the blessings of God were given conditionally. Go to the river Jordan, dip seven times. Once, twice, three times, four times, five times, six times, seven times, dipping in the river Jordan, your flesh will be clean. You can count the seven. You can ask for little kids and they can count the seven. And kids today, they'll count to, they can count to ten and then count to ten in Spanish or another language. And in Spanish America, their kids can count to 10 in Spanish, they can count to 10 in English too. So it's not something that's all that complex. Go and wash, dip seven times in the river Jordan, your flesh will be clean. But as you continue on in that story, but Naaman was angry and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out and stand and call upon the name of, of the Lord his God and strike his hands over the place and cure the leprosy. And then as he continues on, as he's all puffed up and uh, wasn't like what he thought it would be, are not Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. He still had leprosy. He wasn't cured. Then in verse 13, and the servants came near and spake unto him and said, uh, My father, if the prophet had bid you to do some great thing, would you have not done it? How much rather than when he said unto you, wash and be clean? I mean, if it was something really hard that you had to crawl on your hands and knees at least five miles and, and go up and down a mountain four or five times, I mean, if, if that's what he asked, surely you would have done that. Well, yeah, of course. Something simple. Dip in the River Jordan seven times. Why don't you just do that? So verse 14 says, Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the sayings of the man of God, and his flesh was restored again into, like unto the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Not the, not, the, not the flesh of an adult, but the flesh of a little child. That's, that's even better. You see, there was conditions that were placed in order to receive the blessings of God. The conditions were placed for Naaman. The conditions were for the Israelites when they were bitten by these fiery servants. Look upon this brass serpent and you'd be healed. That's the way God works. You see that in the Old Testament examples. You see that in New Testament examples. You can look at the story of Jesus uh, healing the blind man. You go, he, he anointed his eyes with mud, and he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. He went and washed, and he came seeing well, it's the same. The same point is for us. That we just put our faith in God. If God said, uh, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, well, that's what I want to do. If God said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the mission of your sin, and you shall receive the Spirit, gift of the Holy Spirit, well, that's what I want to do. It, it's not all that hard. Just do what God says. Now, there's something else interesting about this story that we want to talk about. And that's found over in the book of 2 Kings. In the book of 2 Kings, chapter 18, in verses 4 and 5, we come to the time of Josiah. And what's interesting in this story here, in 2 Kings, chapter 18, or uh, that we read about here, uh, or Hezekiah, excuse me, Hezekiah, 
There in verses 4 and 5, it says that he removed the high places and broke down the images and cut down the idol poles and broke in pieces, broke in pieces the brass serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the, the children of Israel did burn incense unto it, and he called it Nehushtan. It's kind of interesting that this brass serpent that Moses made that was up on that uh, pole, it survived for several centuries. Several years it survived. But what happened is that they kind of idolized it. It became a sacred uh, relic to them that they just sort of deified it. They would fall down and worship it, burn incense into it. And Hezekiah saw that, mm -mm, no, it's just brass. Because when he called it Nehushtan, if you look up that word, it means it's just a piece of brass. It's just brass. Yeah, Moses made it. And yeah, it goes back to the history of Numbers chapter 21. Yeah, people did look upon it and people were uh, spared death by, uh, by, from the uh, snake bites when they looked upon this brass serpent. But it was just a piece of, piece of brass. It was only for that time. Sometimes people, they'll ask, well, what, what about, why don't we have the original copies of the letters that Paul wrote or that Luke wrote or Matthew wrote? Or why don't we have the cross? Or why don't we have like the grave cloth of Jesus? Well, it would be for this very same reason. The very same reason is that people would idolize it and, and worship it and just, just want to somehow, if I could just touch the, the physical cross of Jesus, like, like there was some magic in and of itself just touching the cross, that, that wouldn't be. Or the original uh, letter that Paul wrote, just, just to be able to touch it, to look upon it. Or the grave cloth, if we could just somehow just, just touch it. It would be the same. People would idolize it. People would just exalt it. I mean, it's like the Shroud of Turin. I don't believe the Shroud of Turin was the grave cloth of Jesus. The reason being, because when you look in John chapter 21, there was one that was over his head, and there was, one, there was a, a separate one over his body. So you had two cloths, so you couldn't have the Shroud of Turin, which is just one whole cloth. It goes back a long way. I mean, it's been around for a long time. But it doesn't fit the bi 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 biblical evidence. But the people that look at the Shroud of Turin, I mean, it's like, whoa, if I could just be there and just touch it. I mean, it's just, that's, that's the nature of people. We don't worship the cross in the sense that if we could just touch that wood beam, like there's intrinsic power within in that wooden beam. Or in that, uh, uh, that, that skin that, that Paul wrote upon, whether it was a piece of leather or if he wrote upon papyrus, if we could just somehow intrinsically touch it, that there would be magical power in it. It's not. It's the, it's the teachings that what was written upon that piece of leather, upon that papyrus, the paper of the first century, that's where the power is, is in God. The wood beam, the wood beam intrinsically does not have power. It's the sacrifice that was made that we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the power is at. Be interesting to see those things as as uh, artifacts, but uh, there's no intrinsic power within them. It would be just like that uh, brass serpent, Nehushtan. It's only a piece of brass, and so that's why it was destroyed and broken in pieces. Well, there's a parallel for us to give consideration to. 
And Jesus draws from the story of what happened there in John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, here you have people in uh, Moses' day, they'd look upon that brass serpent. And by looking upon that, putting their faith in God, because that's, that's what God said to do, their lives were spared from that poisonous snake bite. They lived. They survived. Otherwise, they didn't survive. In parallel, we look upon the cross of Jesus. When we hear the message of salvation, we don't see the physical cross. If we had the physical cross, by touching the physical cross, looking upon the physical cross, we'd still miss the whole point if we don't see Jesus dying. Offering himself as a sacrifice to pay for the debt of our sin. If we don't see the cross, that is the, the sacrifice of Jesus as the atonement, as the atoning sacrifice. We missed it. We missed it. We've got to look upon the cross. And just as Moses lifted up, lifted up that brass serpent, Jesus would be lifted up from the earth, that is, be lifted up on the cross and to die. And we look upon the cross, and we do that when we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We do that when we step out in belief and, obey, uh, belief and obedience to the plan of salvation. That is, we hear this good news. We hear about Jesus dying on the cross. Yeah, that's it. That's the solution. Yeah, I believe in Jesus that he really did live. I haven't seen him. I haven't seen the physical cross. I haven't seen the original manuscript. I haven't seen uh, the, the grave cloths of Jesus. But I believe the story that was recorded in this book that we call the Bible. Yeah, I believe the message is, is the point that I believe. And I'm willing to accept his command to repent. I'm willing to accept his command. I'm, I'm going to confess I believe Jesus Christ before men. And I'm willing to accept his command to be immersed. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Repent and be baptized, everyone, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. As Saul was told, and, why, and now I tell you that, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. We do that as an act of faith. Our faith is not intrinsically within water. Our faith is in God because God's the one that says to be immersed in water. That's what baptism is. It's an immersion. And we do it because that's what God said. That's where the power is. We're putting our faith in God. And obeying is the manifestation that we really believe. And then, of course, we are exhorted to be faithful unto death. And if we do err, we come back to repentance of prayer as we see in Acts chapter 19. Have you looked upon the cross? Have you looked upon Jesus who was lifted up? You can come to Jesus and just do what he says. You could be saved even now. If we could help or assist you in any way, you come and let us know. We'll be happy to help you in obedience to the gospel. Come all together as we stand, as we sing.